Chapter 20. Gold, Virginia sure is pretty, I said to the gas man, and he grinned. But it really was. There were many hills of the gently rolling type, mildly trees that had been dipped in fiery, autumny paint, and swelling waves of green pastures, some even dotted with actual horses. It was gorgeous here. Anne's huge suburban held us all, and Fang got to recline most of the way. I kept an eye on him, noting the way his jaw tightened when we hit bumps but he didn't complain. Another fly in the ointment. I was having the same waves of heat and racing heart I'd had last night, and I was so jumpy it felt as if bugs were crawling all over me. Total had been sitting on my lap, looking out the window, and now he glanced at me with his shiny black eyes. Deliberately, he got up and picked his way over Fang's lap and onto Angel's, as if to say, If you're going to be that hot, forget it. Oh gosh, look at that! Nudge said, pointing out her window. That horse is totally white. Like an angel horse. And what are those rolled-up straw things? Bales of hay, Anne said from the front seat. They roll them like that instead of making haystacks. It's so pretty here, Nudge went on, practically bouncing in her seat next to Anne. I like these hills. What's that kind of tree with the pointy leaves and all the colors? Maples, Anne said. They usually have the most color. What's your house like? Nudge asked. Is it all white with big columns? Like Tara? Did you see that movie? Gone with the wind, Anne said. No, I'm afraid my house isn't anything like Tara. It's an old farmhouse, but I do have 50 acres of land around it. Plenty of room for you guys to run around. We're almost there. Twenty minutes later, Anne pulled into a driveway and clicked an electronic gadget. A pair of wrought iron gates swung open and she pulled through. The gates closed behind us, which made my sensors go on precautionary alert. It took almost a whole minute to get to her house. The driveway was made of crushed shells and wound through beautiful trees arching overhead. Red and yellow leaves fluttered gently down onto the car. Well, here we are, she said, pulling around a corner. I hope you like it. We stared out the car windows. Anne's house looked like a painting. It had rounded river rocks at the bottom part and large clapboards above, and a big screened porch that covered almost the whole front. Large shrubs circled the yard, and some of them still had faded hydrangea blooms. There's a pond out back, Anne said, pulling into a parking space in front of the house. It's so shallow that it might still be warm enough to swim in, in the afternoons. Here, everyone pile out. We poured out of the car, glad to be in a wide open space again. The air smells different here. Nudge said, wrinkling her nose. It smells great. The house stood on the top of a low hill. Sloping away from us were wide lawns and an orchard. The trees were actually covered with apples. Birds twittered and sang. I couldn't hear traffic or smell road tar or hear any other person. Anne opened the front door. Well, don't just stand there, she said with a laugh. Come see your rooms. I nodded, and Angel and Nudge started toward the house, followed by Gazzy. Iggy was standing next to me. What does it look like? He asked in a low voice. It looks like paradise, Jeff, said Fang. Chapter 21 The rough bark of the tree was cutting into his legs, but Ari paid no attention. After the pain of having huge wings retrofitted onto his shoulders, this was child's play. He grinned at that thought. Technically, 
Anything he did was child's play. He was only seven years old. Eight next April. Not that it mattered. He wouldn't get any presents or a cake. His dad probably wouldn't even remember. He put the binoculars to his eyes again, clenching his jaw. He saw the mutant bird freaks get out of the car. He'd already been over the grounds, looked in the windows of the house. Those kids were in for a cushy stay, at least for a while. It wasn't fair. There wasn't even a word for how unfair it was. Ari's hand clutched a small branch so tightly that the branch snapped, sending a long, thin sliver under his skin. He looked at it, waiting for the pain signals to make their sluggish way to his brain. Bright red blood welled around the splinter. Ari pinched the splinter out and threw it away before his brain even recognized that he'd been hurt. Here he was, in a tree, his team camped nearby, stuck watching the mutant freaks through binoculars. He should be on the ground, tapping Max on the shoulder, seeing her whirl, then smashing his fist right into her face. But no. Instead, she was shashaying inside the fancy house, thinking she was perfect. Better than anyone. Better than him. The one fun thing at the last 48 hours had been Max's expression when she'd seen he was alive. She'd been shocked. Shocked and horrified, Ari remembered proudly. He wanted her to look like that every time she saw him. So fine, get some R&R maximum, Ari thought acidly. Your time is coming, and I'll be there, waiting for you. I'll always be there. The hatred coiled in his gut, twisting his insides, and he felt himself morphing, his facial bones elongating, his shoulders hunching. He watched as the coarse hair covered his arms, lightning fast, and ragged claws erupted from his fingertips. He wanted to rake these claws down Max's face. That perfect face. Anguish welled up and choked him, turning his world black, and, without thinking, he sank his fangs into his own arm, Clenching his jaw hard, he waited for the physical pain. Finally, gasping, he sat back, his mouth red with blood, his arm coldly numb with pain. Ah, that was better. Part 2. Paradise or Prison? Chapter 22. Guess how many bedrooms Anne's little country shack had? Seven. One for her, one for each bird kid. Guess how many bathrooms it had? Five. Five bathrooms in one house. Max! The gasman pounded on my bedroom door. I opened it, my hair still wet from my long, incredibly hot shower. Can I go outside? He asked. Gee, I'd forgotten the natural color of your skin, I told him. I was convinced you were kind of dirt-colored. He grinned at me. Call it camouflage. Can I go outside? Yeah, let's all go together. Give Iggy some landmarks. What is that? Like, a plane hanger? Nudge asked. A grove of trees had hidden the big red building from the house. But now that we were doing retcon, we were finding all kinds of things. It's a barn, said Fang. I was keeping an eye on him. As soon as he started to look tired, I was going to send him back to the house. A barn with animals? Angel asked excitedly. Just then... Total started barking, as if he'd picked up on something scent. Yep, I guess so, I said, scooping Total up on my arms. Listen, you, I told him. No more with the barking. You're going to spook somebody. Total looked offended, but stayed quiet as long as I held him. 
That first one is sugar, Anne said, coming up behind us. She'd given us free reign at the place after she'd shown us our rooms and stuff. We stood in the open barn doorway and watched Sugar, a pale gray horse who was looking back at us with interest. He's beautiful, Nudge whispered. He's big, said the gas man. Big and sweet, Anne said, opening a box and taking out a carrot. She handed it to Nudge and nodded at the horse. Go on, he likes carrots. Hold it flat in your hand. Cautiously, Nudge stepped forward, holding at the carrot. This is a kid who could break a man's ribs with a well-placed kick. But she was almost trembling as she approached the horse. Sugar very delicately lipped up the carrot, then crunched it with satisfaction. Nudge turned to me, her face glowing, and my heart caught in my throat. It was like we were inner-city kids getting a week on the farm as part of a social service program. We were surrounded by beautiful scenery and fresh air. There were animals and... You guys have another half hour, Anne said, turning to go back to the house. Dinner's at six. And, I was going to say, plenty of food. It was amazing. Where was the catch? Because I knew one was coming. Chapter 23 Oh yeah, said the gasman, looking at the pond. I am so there. Anne's pond was about as big as a football stadium, with a small rocky shore edged by cattails and daylilies. I stared at it suspiciously, waiting for the pond nest monster to rise out of its depths. Okay, call me hopelessly paranoid, but this whole place was starting to seem creepily idyllic. Like, my bedroom was charming. Charming? What did I know about charming? I'd never called anything charming before in my life. And now here I was, eyes narrowed at a picture-perfect pond. Was this some new freakish test? We don't have time to right now, Gazzy, I said, clamping down on my rising fears. But maybe we can go swimming tomorrow. It's just so beautiful here, Nudge said, gazing at the untrustable rolling hills, the dark, secret-concealing orchard, the pond, sea above, Brant, repond, the small, literally babbling brook that ran into the pond. Like the Garden of Eden. Yeah, and that turned out so well. I muttered under my breath. Look, there were more animals over there, Angel said, pointing. No doubt, tidy, Martha Stewart, heirloom pedigree animals enclosed in chintz pens. Okay, we can swing by them on the way to the house. I don't know about you guys, but I'm starving. I glanced over at Fang, who was starting to look a little pale. Tonight, after dinner, I would try to get him to take it easy in one of the two comfortable recliners by the horribly cozy fireplace. Sheep! Angel cried, catching sight of some fluffy brown wool. Anne is quite the animal lover, Fang said to me as we followed Angel. Horses, sheep, goats, chickens, pigs. Yeah, I said. I wonder who's for dinner. He flashed one of his rare smiles at me and it felt like the sun was coming out. I felt my cheeks get hot and strode on ahead. Pigs, look, said the gasman excitedly. Come here, Ig. Gazzy guided Iggy's hand down, and Iggy scratched the small brown pig behind its ears, sending it into ecstatic squeals. Pigs are so lucky, said the gasman, as images of bacon danced in my head. No one cares if they're dirty or live in a pigsty. That's because they're pigs, I pointed out. Just then, Toto leaped out of my arms, scratching me. Hey, I said. 
then saw a large, black-and-white, shepherdy-looking dog bounding up. Total braced his front legs and barked loudly, and the other dog barked back. Total, I called, clapping my hands. Stop it. It's his yard. Angel? Angel was already trotting over, and she grabbed Total's collar. Since when does he have a collar? I asked. Okay, Total. Calm down, Angel said, stroking his head. Total stopped barking, then shook his head in disgust and said, Putz. I blinked in surprise and opened my mouth, and then saw Gazi loping up, hands in his pockets, whistling. I absolutely refused to give Gazi the satisfaction of freaking out over his latest voice-throwing trick, and didn't say a thing. Come on, guys, I said. Let's go chow. Chapter 24 Okay, let's see what we have here, I muttered. The six of us were in my room. The notes we'd gotten from the Institute in New York were spread out on my bed. When we'd found the files in the computer and printed them out, some of the information had been readable. Now, those pages were gone, leaving us with lines of numerical code. What had happened to the readable pages? Don't know. Was it another test? So basically, we were looking at reams of numbers. Every once in a while, a real word leaped out at us. Some of the real words were us, our names. Somewhere in these pages was info about our parents. How about we each take two pages and comb through them, I suggested. Figure out what we can. See if anything about the numbers looks familiar or has a pattern. Sounds like a plan, said Iggy. Except for me. I'll read you out some numbers, said Fang. Iggy nodded, and I passed out the sheets. Fang started reading softly to Iggy, who concentrated hard nodding every so often. I took my two sheets and sat at the desk. For the next hour, we tried every basic code-breaking technique we knew. We looked for patterns, hexagons, and came up with nada, nothing. An hour later, I dropped my head into my hands. This is impossible, I said, ready to scream in frustration. This is probably a computerized code. If it is, we'll never break it. But isn't everything a test? The gasman asked, his small face tired. It was almost ten. I had to get these guys into bed. Didn't Jem tell you that everything is a test, back at the school, when we were rescuing Angel? So that would mean we're supposed to be able to break this somehow. I thought of that, I said. That's what's so irritating. I've tried everything that would occur to me. So I guess I'm flunking this test. A tap on my door interrupted us. The door opened a bit, and Anne poked her head around it. Hey, guys, she said with a smile. Sleepy yet? Crystal? Want to get ready for bed? Yep, said Nudge. I'm beat. Gazzy looked at me, and I nodded at him. Yeah, he told Anne. We were just about to crash. Good, she said easily. Anyone need anything? Before you crash? No, we're fine, said Angel, following Anne out. They walked down the hall, and I heard Anne say, Ariel, how about letting Total out one last time? Okay, said Angel. I stood in my room, feeling a little bad, feeling as if someone else was taking care of my flock. Chapter 25 Welcome to another day at Camp Agent. To start, a hearty breakfast that Iggy and I made. That's because on our first morning here, we had discovered that single woman Ann Walker considered a protein bar and an orange-flavored sports drink to be an acceptable breakfast. 
which, if we were dumpster diving or stealing from a 7-Eleven, would be great. But since we were in a seven-freaking-bedroom country chateau with a sub-zero fridge and a Viking range at our disposal, it didn't cut it. So it was massive infusions of scrambled eggs, bacon, toast, etc. for everyone. Next, quaint housekeeping issues. Anne made each of us responsible for keeping our bedchambers tidy and worthy of a photo shoot. And here's what really ticked me off. The flock actually did it. Had I asked them a thousand times to keep the room straight at home, when we had a home? Yes. Had they done it? No. However, they were all over the bed-making and shoe-lining-up situation here. For a stranger. Little buggers. Then, rousing exercise in the country fresh air. Flying, sparring, playing, swimming, horseback riding. Lunch. Anne got the fine art of making sandwiches down to a science. Post-lunch, rest, play, etc. Anne occasionally took us aside, one by one, and interviewed us, how to show her what we could do. She loved to watch us fly, made us feel like marvels, swooping around in the sky. She would watch us for hours, with binoculars, and the look of wonder and delight on her face could be seen from 2,000 feet away. Dinner. Anne really tried. But this was a woman whose main source of nutritional comfort came in single-serve, microwavable packages. After the first day, she'd gone shopping and brought home 15 bags of groceries and a cookbook. With mixed results. But you know what? The food was hot and someone was fixing it for us, which made it fabulous in my book. After that first day, I tried to start getting the flock ready for bed before Anne could do it. It bothered me, her doing it, taking over my role. I was still the leader. Soon, Anne and her comfy house would just be a memory. Just like Jeb. Just like Dr. Martinez and Ella. Just like everything in our temporary lives. One night, after we'd been there almost two weeks, I was lying in bed listening to my favorite, favorite singer, Liam Rooney. Liam, Liam, you are my inspiration. The younger kids were already asleep. There was an almost silent tap on my door. Yeah? Fang came in. What's up? Look. He put some of the coded sheets from the institute on my lap, then hauled a big spiral-bound book onto the bed. He opened it up across my knees. I was looking at the stuff, going nuts, you know? Then suddenly, it looked like map coordinates. I drew in a breath. As soon as he said that, I could see the possibility. This is a book of detailed street maps of Washington, D.C., he said. I got it out of Anne's car. Look, each page is numbered. Each map is numbered. Each grid of each map is numbered. And look at this clump of stuff here, by Gazzy's name. 27-8-G9. So, I go to page 27, and it's a section of town, see? Yeah, I breathed. This section has 12 smaller maps. I go to map 8. He turned pages, which is a blow-up of one section. Then I go to column G and trace it down to row 9. His fingers slowly moved down the map, and it's a pretty specific little chunk of streets. I looked at him. Oh my god, I said. Did you try any others? He nodded. This one by Nudge's name. Same thing. I actually end up with a real place. You are so brilliant. 
I said, and he shrugged, looking almost embarrassed. Except that Feng never gets embarrassed. But I thought Nudge was pretty sure she'd found her parents in Arizona, I added. He shrugged again. I don't know. The woman we saw was black, but it wasn't like Nudge was a photocopy of her. You think this is worth checking out? Absolutely, I said, swinging my legs out of bed. Everyone else asleep? Yeah, including the Anmeister. Okay, give me a minute to get some jeans on. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a Maximum Ride bootleg audiobook podcast. Thing. As always, I am your all of it Margie, and sorry about the weird spotty quality in the middle of that episode. I changed some settings to see if it would sound better, and it didn't, and I didn't have time to re-record that, so sorry about that. I'll, uh, Try to have that fixed for next week. Um, other than that, I don't really have anything to say. Hope that all of you who are stuck in this really weird, wild weather storm are staying warm, staying safe. Keeping you and your loved ones and your pets good and safe with you. Um, yeah, don't really have anything to say besides that. If you want to get in contact with me, you can email me at MaximumCrimePod at gmail.com. Or you can get in contact with me on my Tumblr over at maximum-crime-pod. Alright, I think that's all I gotta say for this time around. So until next time, fly on. Before I back out of this one all the way, I wanna... (laughs) It's my co-host here. Um, I wanna leave this little clip in of me trying to record this outro a few minutes ago and my cat deciding that she wanted to jump into the recording also. Literally. Anyway, here we go. A Maximum Ride bootleg audiobook podcast. Thing. (gasps) (laughs) You little bastard.